Malcolm Holine with us live via telephone, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Mr. Holine, welcome back to JM in the AM. Always great to be with you. Appreciate that very much. We talk about the support in Washington. We don't take it for granted at all. In fact, as um, different efforts are being made to oust certain members of Congress around this country, you have to admit that uh, even with um, some of the anti-Israel rhetoric and feelings that are going on in certain congressional offices, we are still enjoying a uh, an overwhelming amount of support in the halls of the United States Congress, Baruch Hashem and Beliyayin Hara. However, with all that in mind, could you tell us what uh, Senator Bernie Sanders did this week in the United States Senate? Well, he didn't do anything because it didn't pass, but it was meant to be a message. The fact is that 72 senators voted uh, against his measure, which would limit aid to Israel and condition aid. And this is all those efforts to, while he still doesn't call, by the way, for a ceasefire, which is to me anomalous, but he he and others have been introducing various resolutions. Uh, Rand Paul voted with uh, Sanders, but I saw that he introduced a measure which was not passed to condition aid uh, to the Palestinians on recognition of Israel and, you know, denouncing the violence. Uh, so it's, it's, as you said, support remains strong in both houses. I think um, it's becoming more and more challenging as this extends. Uh, and because of the clamoring sometimes in some of their districts. But overall, the, the support has remained strong. The I think the understanding of what happened um, and especially the impact of the videos and the um, I think attempts to 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 show that the threats to America has emerged from the Houthi actions. These are all one enemy. This is all Iran's tentacles, and that this battle is for America as much as it is for Israel and for the West, because everybody will be a victim. Every ally of the United States in the region and the United States itself and all of our interests, yeah. as we see in the Red Sea. Even outside of the region. Um, what, what does this tell us about those of us who were skeptical early on during the war about how strong U.S. support would remain for Israel throughout this entire encounter? My point being that when President Biden, again, with all the credit to him, uh, went ahead and visited Israel and made all the proper statements and really acted uh, the way we would have preferred that he act uh, in light of the start of the war, it looks like uh, some of that support from his office is waning. It looks like they're not as enthusiastically backing Israel as they once were. I think the same could be said for Bernie Sanders. I think, shockingly, we were surprised how much he supported Israel in the uh, first few weeks of the war. Now, obviously, he's taking action, which would indicate something very differently. Um, Should we worry that others will follow and that there might be less support from Washington than there is now? Of course. We worry about it every day. Uh, there are a lot of countering forces, uh, as we know. We see what how, how the um, younger generation has been impacted. Now we found out, and I'm sure we'll discuss that it's not just colleges; it's high schools where the propaganda war is being ca- is being carried out. And the the fact that we're in a presidential election year obviously has an impact 
on uh, the people in Washington and how they study the polls and look at it. And when you have hundreds of employees of the administration who want to walk out in protest of the Middle East policy, I mean, all of these things are factors. But as you said, I think the administration has generally remained steadfast in its commitments, its fundamental commitments, although we see some fraying and there are all sorts of negotiations going on for the day after and uh, the renewal of the talks about what, what should be done, even some suggesting that Hamas will not be dismantled, which would be a very bad outcome of this uh, of this conflict. And Prime Minister Netanyahu made it very clear in his comments uh, later in the week that that is not an acceptable outcome, that it has to be the dismantling of, of Hamas and its capacity. The um, And the talk about the rewarding the Palestinians in a way would be, I think, certainly counterproductive. And when you look at the polls, the surge of popularity of Hamas in, in the West Bank and even support amongst Gazans, although I think today it's greatly diminished and you hear more and more voices of dissent against them. And usually that when caught meant a death penalty, you know, then they're executed as traitors, something that does not seem to bother the United Nations and many countries. Um, the, the, I think the ICJ case, the International Court of Justice case, you know, accusing Israel of genocide, even France and others have come out and said it crosses a moral um, uh, red line or threshold that the the extreme measures that, that they engage in. And again, I, I think that the Houthi attacks are bringing home to many people what the true nature of this is. And they don't even know yet how this could impact the prices of goods let alone already we see in the price of oil yeah. because of, of what they're, uh, the attacks that they're, they're engaged in. And they continue despite the fact that we've been bombing them almost every day. I want to get back to the college and high school thing for a second, but 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 since you just mentioned the Houthis, how is that Iran? So you know, and and Prime Minister Netanyahu's statements this week gave me a little bit more clarity in terms of who the enemy really is and how influential Iran is. But but how do they do it? Is it money? Is it some type of influence that we may not realize on this side of the world? How is it that they are getting um, countries? Um, governments and, of course, rebel groups like uh, uh, like the Houthis to participate in these anti-American activities. Why are they so successful at it? Well, it's it, there's many reasons: it's ideological, it's economic, it's political. So, if we take each case, how the Iranians, uh, by funding, providing weapons, uh, giving an ideological um, it's spurred to the to the most extremist elements in in Muslim countries, uh, and threatening virtually every regime in the region, uh, intimidating others. And for too long, they were able to get away with it when we, you know, lessened some of the um, restrictions, some of the sanctions, other things. It kept sending a message that. Iran somehow is getting away with it, and now they've linked up with China and Russia. They've joined the BRICS group uh, and they, uh, you know, get international acceptance on the one hand, even as we try to isolate them on the other. The, the, so the Iranians whose economy is in ruins and if we had really clamped down more further on the oil sanctions as we did before, uh, that would cut off the source of, of the larger source of income, right. which now comes to, to a billion dollars every week. 
just from the export of oil. That funds a lot of terrorism. Terrorism is not that expensive. It, and they, you know, they don't have to sustain the people afterwards. They don't have to worry about rehabilitation. They don't have to worry about any of these things. Iran can simply give money to the Houthis who were fighting Saudi Arabia, as you remember. Right. And the Saudis now remain quiet because they don't want to reactivate that front. But they were they literally shot missiles, and we believe some from Iran, directly at their oil fields, their air force, uh, the airports, etc. Uh, and so they intimidate, and they uh, uh, and Iran with this minimal investment, they give hundreds of millions of dollars a year to Hezbollah, to Hamas, to the Houthis, to the militias in Syria and Iraq, all in a plan to encircle um, uh, Israel. But now the chutzpah, them firing directly from Iran against Erbil in in Kurdistan, uh, claiming that they're hitting a Mossad headquarters when in fact there was a person's private home a business residence where they killed two children and two adults a businessman a kurdish businessman who in fact did advocate for increasing business with israel but that was not the their motivation was it you know and then they covered by saying that they were hitting a mossad headquarters but the fact they get away with with firing and then the united states till now had a very restrained response to the more than 100 attacks against American presence in um, in Iraq and Syria, where we're there to protect our troops, and uh, the b- battle against ISIS. Is it less restrained so, now? Pardon me? Is it less restrained now, that response? It is. It, it is less restrained, certainly, in the case of the Houthis and the fact that we, we the British, have been bombing back when they are... are you know, blocking traffic and people, you, you have to understand that this could increase prices of 10% or more because of the increase in insurance. And if they have to go around the Cape of Good Hope around Africa, right. yeah. rather than taking the Suez Canal, adds, uh, can add weeks to the travel time for these huge um, uh, you know, cargo boats. So, but, but you see that Iran's, the pattern of Iran's involvement and they get involved in Ukraine. What, what was the punishment? What was the sanctions that we imposed on them for providing weapons to the Russians and to, uh, and on an ongoing basis and the, the um, drones that were being used against them? And, and at the same time, they benefit from the increased prices. They export the sanctioned Russian oil. And uh, in the meantime, build up their, get closer and closer in terms of their nuclear program because they stepped up enrichment again. They, they, according to one of the top experts, that they would have enough uranium for a nuke, a nuclear weapon at 90% enrichment within a week or so. So uh, they still haven't finished the whole process of weaponizing it. But the, the fact is that they are moving ahead on that program as well. And they pay very little price for all of this. So the, the only message that Iran will listen to is, is a message of strength. Yeah. And when you have other parties coming into it and they now have this link with China, Russia and others and are involved, accepted into the Shanghai Cooperation Council, the BRICS and other associations. So there's no price. What we what we should be doing is activating all the countries on their borders, activating, assisting and aiding the people in the country. We should not don't have to get directly involved. But all we have to do is help those elements. And you can see that this government is tottering in terms of the support when people hang a sign in Tehran on a bridge that we stand with Israel. 
when at the at the soccer games they yell uh, pro-Israel slogans, or in the moment of silence for the Palestinian victims, they all started blowing horns and, and whistling and making noise. Those are the messages we should, the people we should be supporting, and that is the message we should be sending. Do all those people end up getting arrested, or it's uh, it's too many for the authorities to round them up? Too too many, and they don't necessarily know in advance. I think you know when it's happening, we should acknowledge. You know, the United States hit uh, Houthi airports, and we've hit some of their military bases. The initial strikes were, were warnings. I think the fact that they continued afterwards is uh, is you know has emboldened us to take stronger stands. And I think that the military, the U.S. military, would like to do much more because they got harassed by these ships. And remember, I said on this program, and I said it years ago to a former president, that if you take out any of those little boats that they send against us, they're very high speed, they harass our ships, our military ships as well. He said it will cause war. And I said, no, they will do nothing. We'll back down. These are cowards. That's why they're terrorists. They run and hide. They don't fight military. And we took out three of those ships. What was the reaction? Nothing. Nothing. They won't stand against us. The fact that the Houthis continued, frankly, is is um, is somewhat surprising. But they have very little to lose. Yemen is the poorest country. They their existence, uh, Houthis' existence, it depends upon the fact that they remain uh, a power there and, and do the bidding of Iran and the extremist elements. Yeah. Back to the other topic for a second. I had an experience this week, which, uh, again, um, confirmed what, I, what I've been believing for the last three months. And that the, the, the average high school and college student in this country, forget other countries for a moment. They, they just don't know. They have no, you, you ask them what October 7th was all about. You ask them what happened on October 7th. The majority can't even tell you. And I know we make fun about the, they don't know what the river is. They don't know what the sea is. I get all of that. Uh, but th- there's so much ignorance here. And there's really two groups. <laughs> there's the ign- ign- ignorant group of American youth that are participating in anti-Israel protests. And the and then there's the, uh, uh, the ignorant uh, group of American youth that are sitting by and really don't care much about, you know, to get involved in the whole thing. But it just... The, the level of ignorance, you know, fuels this entire movement. That's why so many people that are joining these anti-Israel pro-Hamas rallies in so many major cities w- wouldn't have a clue if you asked them to describe to you what happened on October 7th or who was involved. Forget about the expressions, river scene, all that. Just a, the basic episode. I don't know if the majority of them can even tell you. First of all, every test uh, and uh, anecdotal evidence uh, shows that that is absolutely true. They have no idea which river, which sea. Uh, We believe that some people are being paid to be participants in these rallies. Some of them are members of extremist groups, uh, whether that's who've infiltrated unions, who've infiltrated uh, elsewhere. To, to mobilize people that this is becomes their their protest voice that this has been in the works for many years and and frankly uh, you know we would need the whole day just to tell you that what we've found and if we can to take a minute because I think it brings home the message how our public schools have been infiltrated the fact that the map, in one school that was revealed, which showed uh, the Middle East, but only Palestine, not Israel, the superintendent said this week, on the uh, day before yesterday, oh, this has been up for 12 years. 12 years. Wow. So the 
a class after class was interesting. And he said, but it's a class in Arab culture and thing. And because, you know, Israel's not an Arab country, doesn't speak Arabic, which is not true for a quarter of the people and more. And, uh, you know, covering it. But but there's much more to this. First of all, it's not just one school. There may be as many as half a dozen. And do you know that the Qatari Foundation funds, gives money to these schools and funds some of the education and means they have a say in the teachers who teach there. There's almost no curricular requirement. And uh, they can say this is a club. This is not a regular course. It is. And it's being taught in the school and has been for, for years. And you want to know why these young people have been indoctrinated yeah. as they have? Look at the teachers' unions and look at the, the, the kind of messages that they send and what the, what do you think the teachers are teaching. And, and the oversight, both by the state and the city, is minimal. They're not requiring them. There are only certain words, I found out, that they have to say, and that covers it. And then they can do basically what they want in, in these courses. But we're finding out that not only the Qataris pour billions into our universities – and we're finding more and more all the time in the nefarious network of, of investments and the influence in terms of picking teachers that they get packages of scholarships that they can give out at will to, to who they want from, uh, you know, I'm sure they're sending the best propagandists, not the best students. And the, the, and the, and, but the fact that they've, they've invested even in high schools and, and we have hardly even begun to scratch the surface of what this means nationally in terms of how much uh, Qatar, yeah. whose foundation owns hundreds of billions of dollars in real estate, prime real estate in New York and London and elsewhere, but in, in buying into various uh, industries in America. And this is important because they can use that as leverage. I know, but every state. time I mention this to somebody about Qatari financial influence in high schools and colleges in this country, people react to me like, how much influence could they possibly have from so many thousands of miles away? And how much money are they really giving? I can have such an effect. People don't understand that, that you don't need a lot of money <laughs> to go ahead and make a difference when it comes to things like this. And, it just, and, 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 and again, you know, as Americans, we, we don't think this way, frankly. Um, but they have they have a lot of money. It's not a little bit of money. The money that they poured in billions of dollars in their universities where they do get a say in who teaches. They get a say, therefore, in what the curricula is. They we have experienced this for years, but this it, the extent of it is shocking. And then all of a sudden, a lot of the information which came out of the federal sources and places disappears yeah. because we believe that, in fact, it's much greater than the billions that we have identified and and the extent and the, the nature of these activities is much greater yeah well people here just don't believe it i mean we'll, we'll keep telling them and hopefully they'll wake up but the people just don't believe it it's unbelievable frankly how much they don't believe it's america's one and only jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world the web and alchemsegal.com and the alchemsegal network and of course the beloved nsn app malcolm homeline with us conference of presidents of major american jewish organizations so yesterday in a press conference in hebrew in israel a uh, reporter asked uh, prime minister netanyahu why are you not attacking iran and you know why are you why are you supporting those who attack uh, the Houthis and others? But you know, why don't you just go and directly attack the uh, the the brain trust of this entire operation? And his answer was, "We are attacking Iran." What do you think he meant by that? I think he meant to say that we are taking actions against Iran, uh, both through uh, their proxies 
and directly. There have been other allusions to it. It's not something that he can discuss. I think sometimes they make a big mistake talking about it. Other political leaders in Israel have made such references. Was it a mistake for him to say that yesterday, that we are attacking Iran, or that's not a mistake? You know, today the, the, the political system is so charged and, you know, look at his numbers and look at the thing. And I think it was an off-the-cuff response to a reporter to say we, we are. And I think that everybody knows that Israel is taking some actions, certainly against their proxies, but even there have been incidents in Iran, some of which, you know, go unexplained. So... I think, you know, his reference was um, far less specific and just a, a, a retort to um, to the to the question. If he had said there were very few options, he could have said nothing. He could have right. said we're not. Right. Uh, I think, you know, when you're under that pressure politically and he was just more dismissive of the question uh, of the reporter by saying who says we're not. Do you think the response includes cyber attacks? Is that the primary method? That, I know that there are physical yes. attacks. That's, that's the primary method most likely. That, that is definitely going on all the time. They, they close down the all the gas stations at one point. They send messages that way. I think some of the targeted hits, uh, I think, certainly make a difference. They're still reeling from the United States elimination of Soleimani, uh, but others as well. So the uh, these things have an impact, and it sends a message to the Iranian people that you're not alone. That that you know people do care, but you know the resilience is is amazing when you look at what the United States hitting hundreds of targets in a country Yemen, which has almost no infrastructure, no real. Uh, it, it is not a country with uh, so many uh, targets, uh, and they hit in twelve and in, in different locations in one day in twelve or thirteen different locations with uh, high security weapons, high precision guided munitions, and yet the Houthis continue and they continue to fight and they mass stage these massive rallies uh, as you, you see in Iran, but you don't see is all the counter rallies and all the protests and and uh, the fact that people are tired of this yeah the most common question i get aside from the hostages god should to make sure they're released asap but the most common question i get is how on earth are the uh, hamas militants armed to the teeth the way they are they still have missiles and still have rockets and still have ammunition and people don't realize how well funded they were and how well they prepared in general not just specifically for this attack but in general to be filled with artillery and that supply continues to be a robust supply well they as you know the weapons that they got they found now from china north korea other places which was not known uh it's smuggled across the borders from egypt you remember we we discussed sometimes this attempts to smuggle weapons into the west bank from jordan um and it's a very porous border with, with Egypt and that comes from the Sudan and through Egypt to to um, uh, into Gaza. And, and, and they built it up over all this time. And all, when Israel wants to check all the trucks and, you know, they, they criticize Israel, you have hundreds of trucks going in a day. And I'm sure within it, they still manage periodically because we just it's disclosed that they can't caught attempts to smuggle in weapons. So that continues. But they have 
built such stockpiles. And you made a reference, which I think people don't understand, that why they the pictures of destroyed houses, you know, and one after another. Right. They And I speak to the guys and guys, and they told me every single house can have weapons, a tunnel entrance. Who could have thought that there'd be 500 miles of these underground tunnels, some of them 20, 30 meters deep. People don't understand what a huge investment. Can you imagine it's like building a subway system in New York. We can't get the Second Avenue thing done. They managed to build all these tunnels underground with communication, with air, and the, and the rockets are stored underneath, So and in mosques, and in schools, and in UN facilities. So I know it's frustrating to people how come they can all of a sudden launch? But, you know, they can launch from one place, 50 missiles. Then they go back underground into the tunnels and escape. And, and you know, as much as Israel has done very effectively and continues to be effective, one morning alone this week they killed 40 Hamas terrorists in one place. Uh, and they eliminated more and more of them. But they're being more restricted because unless airstrikes uh, because of uh, international pressure. But they're continuing, and and also because there there are less of those targets. But they're continuing to fight on on the ground, and the the uh, I know it, the the appearance of resilience on the part of Hamas, but don't buy it all. Their guys are like rats underground. You don't see them coming out very often. Yeah, have you heard anything new about the hostage situation? Uh, is there anything you could tell us about their fate or about the possibility of a deal? And also, did the medicine ever get there? Do you know if the Red Cross uh, did their job in getting medication to, to those hostages in need? The last that I saw during the night was was not conclusive as to whether the medicine actually was received. Uh, as you know, there was an understanding of the deal to, to, to get it to them. Um, uh, the the um, What was the first part of your question? Was well, about, I mean, oh, about this, yeah. uh, the hostages. Look, there's a big story that, that is going around about the cemetery, which is true, that the, the Israelis have been tipped off that the that there were bodies there, and they dug up 20 graves, and unfortunately CNN was there and documented it without explaining that they were looking for the remains of hostages. Wow. They took back uh, some of the remains to be tested at the forensic uh, uh, center in Israel, and if not, I'm sure the bodies will be returned and reinterred. Uh, I'm, I, I'm not sure that the, the initial reports are right, that this, these were the bodies of uh, of the hostages, um, but we don't know until the uh, testing takes place, but there were, I think, the remains of 21 people uh, taken out, and, and they were young people. Uh, but the soldiers uh, I spoke to during the night in in uh, Gaza were more skeptical. And uh, potential for a hostage deal in the next few days? Anything more than the last time we spoke? There's nothing uh, so far that um, seems to be in the offing. There are talks going on. There are multiple talks. There are those that are, are dealing with the day after already negotiating, you know, that recognition by the Saudis and by others in exchange for a two-state solution, in exchange for, you know, a rebuilding of, of Gaza. Uh, but I think those things are, you know, premature not to think about, but to, 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 to not to give any ray of hope to Hamas that they can emerge from this. Uh, and and uh, th- that still the majority of the terrorists are still alive. And, of course, the, the leadership and just sending them off to Tunis again or someplace, I don't believe is a solution. I think it would be very disappointing to the people of Israel if 
a threat remains. So they can talk about removing the Hamas government, but they're not removing the people. If you haven't removed the, the poison from the system, then it, it will only come back again. And is it true that Gazans are heading back to the northern part of Gaza? Because if that's true, then and if Israel hasn't effectively uh, encouraged them to stay out, and if the Israeli offensive is not getting stronger as opposed to you know Israel starting to uh, retreat, then I don't know if there's ever any hope for a hostage deal. The only time there was ever a deal was when Israel was was you know dealing with them in such a harsh fashion that they uh, felt desperate they needed a ceasefire. No, Israel is not in retreat. The removal of people after 100 days, it's essential for the economy. It's essential for the people, for the soldiers to be refreshed. They're not uh, retreating. They, they, and you have different groups who have different uh, functions. And some were needed for the initial thrust, some uh, less so. There are areas that are under Israeli control. But it will take a year or more to really clean them out. And to be able to be sure that, the, as you said, the stockpiles and the rocket fire and that the people in the south will be assured that they will have, you know, that they're not going to have a return to, to the terrorism of the past. It's essential. They paid such a heavy price. They've been out of their homes for over 100 days. There are so many dead and, and injured. Uh, again, something, a story not told. And the economic cost, which is now... What, $50 billion and more and rising, uh, it's 2% of the economy, but it's in fact much more and that there will be a residual impact for quite a while. Some businesses may not come back and certainly in the agricultural sector. I saw a great story of a group that was disbanded from Gaza and they didn't go home. They all went to the farm of one of the uh, one of the members of the group, because he said everything was rotting, and they went there and fixed it all up. The whole the whole battalion went to the farm and spent the day. But we forget about all of the farms, all of the uh, the impact that this will have um, on the cost of food, on on everything else. So, uh, and you know, at some point, all the foreign aid will stop. The you know contributions, people get tired or whatever. They cannot. We have to remember this is a long term investment to take care of those families of all of the soldiers, all the victims there who left children, sometimes with one parent, sometimes no parents. But more than that, without an income, and those who are injured, which is many hundreds, that we have to sustain the the staka, the chesed, and all of the work we're doing for them. There's a report in the Jerusalem Post. Israel's emergency government close to collapse as Gaza war continues. How much credence do you give this story? Yeah, but they've been saying that for a long time, and every time uh, somebody storms out of a meeting or gets angry, and you know they are all under tension, and they see uh, Netanyahu is very vulnerable, giving his his uh, very low numbers in the poll, and most would predict that he won't uh, survive a long term. Uh, there's not an election for I think three years yet to come. Uh, whether that he can survive that term, and people position themselves in order to. Uh, that even if there's not an election, that uh, somebody else could succeed him as they really could form a new coalition government, do other things. Uh, it's it's very political, and of course, the media in Israel is very politicized, and so you, you know everything has to be with a grain of salt. But is there uh, are there real tensions? The answer is yes. Is there a possibility that the government could collapse? I think in wartime and still wartime. That would be a mistake, but but we see more of the divisiveness of the past and more of the kind of charges that we were 
spared in the immediate period after the um, after October seventh, uh, reemerging. Yeah, the hostage situation is, I think, um, very important for everyone to get past somehow, and uh, and that means obviously those who are alive to come back home, and if uh, there are bodies for those to be brought back. I just, you know, as every day passes, it, it's it, it sounds like the greatest advocates, the hostages' families, are. I don't want to say losing hope, but it's getting to be a very anxious situation, even more stressful and anxious than it was, you know, weeks ago. And I and I don't know how easily Israel can go on um, without some resolution. Frankly, I think that the support both in Israel. But also abroad, there are families here now. They're meeting with members of Congress. And Guterres even met with some of them in, in Davos. So they, they, they were on the platform, thanks to Palantir, the company, and uh, its head. Um, they had a platform there to talk about it. It is something that still motivates, I think, the um, IDF um, casualties and, and, unfortunately, the, the, uh, those who were, who were killed uh, motivates people. They understand why this is important. People, anybody with a half a brain knows that the barbarism and and anything that we witnessed can't be allowed to, to, no cancer can remain. It has to be taken out, excised completely. So I think that support for Israel remains strong, uh, stronger than, than I think many people would have predicted 100 days after the war. Uh, in Congress and elsewhere, I think that the American people, um, not the voices that you hear and you see these crowds, but remember to get a thousand people onto the street when you have the communists and all sorts of extremist elements and you have money coming into it. Some say Soros, some say others. Uh, that Goldman Sachs uh, f- Foundation, it's a donor advised fund, uh, gave millions and millions of dollars to the groups that are behind uh, the, and identified the donor uh, who, who, are, have been, who has been associated with anti-Israel and extremist causes for a long time. So it doesn't take much. And if you're paying young people or people to come out, you'll get them to come out and do it. And if they just rally, you know, uh, these extremists, it becomes the, the, the protest du jour. And so it's less and, and they will turn against the United States more openly as they are already. But they will be more blatant about that once the, Israel is not the focus. But attacking Israel is a way to attack the United States. Do you um did you see if any uh, larger terrorist organization took credit for the Renana attack this week, or uh, was it only, of course, the the terrorists themselves that are uh, being given credit uh, for the attack? Was there a larger group or or any entity that took responsibility for it? They did not. I did not see anybody that put out an official statement. Uh, taking credit for it and and that's the unfortunate thing is that the murder of civilians or the attack on civilians um and car rammings these are often you know just people who've been inspired who are may have an affiliation may not be by order of the group itself but we've created a climate where these attacks become more fashionable and then they get uh, great support and they get honored you know, by the uh, and and get money from the pay to slay, which is increasing its budget all the time to pay for those who, who have killed uh, Israelis or became injured in the process. So it's, it doesn't have to have a particular group's signature on it. We know what the where the motivation comes from. And I know that you know it's always been this way that every neighborhood, town, city in Israel has always been on the alert. 
um, you know, uh, in terms of attacks like these. But now, obviously, the stress and anxiety level is so much higher because of the circumstances of today. So remember what our brothers and sisters in Israel are going through, everybody, because it's a uh, even people who are not directly affected by the war, those who don't have people in the army, those who are not families of hostages, just our brothers and sisters who live in Israel are going through a very stressful situation, to say the least. And we should remember that that, that this is still only isolated incidents in a country when you take all the things that happen, let's say, in New York City or you take any other place in America. People should not be dissuaded from going to Israel. The tourism is, thank God, continuing. Groups are going. People are going and um, not just to see the horrors in, in Gaza in, in along the Gaza border, but we should be going there and join yeah. the people you, of Israel. You, 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 you've been way too nice on this issue. You keep talking about the positive, which I can't blame you about those who are going, but it is just a drop in the bucket. The people who, who've started Yeshiva Break now, which is essentially you know on a staggered uh, schedule for the next three weeks, I mean, that entire group, I don't want to say nobody because I wouldn't be fair, but hardly anyone is taking their family to Israel. And I don't know what you would suggest privately to those who are worried about taking their children into a quote-unquote war zone. But I, I would encourage people. I've been there, and I would encourage people to take their kids, uh, embark on volunteer efforts. And I think they will find plenty for them to do there in a very safe environment. I don't know if you agree with me 100% on this, but people need to put Israel on their calendar. They need to start planning trips and not hesitate to think about spending part of this winter, especially during during vacation or even the holiday of Pesach in Israel? I, I, I don't agree. I think the big problem, in, in principle, you're right, but I think the big problem is there are no seats. And El Al is charging a fortune, and the, the other airlines aren't flying yet. And and people can't get seats. They call me up and tell me that, and I know I'm booked for myself. It was very hard to find seats on, on the flights going, until, unless you fly through Europe and you fly through other ways, which a lot of people don't want to do. Uh, but the flights, it's only El Al right now. So it's very difficult um, to get seats. I think many more people would go. If, the, if, if there was the availability were, and and the prices were somewhat more reasonable, but the the uh, you're, in principle you're absolutely right. People should be planning their summer vacations, their their spring breaks, other things. Go to Israel. They need it. The people of Israel need to see you there. The hotels and others need you. The the economy needs us to spend uh, money there. And most of all, show solidarity and go to a hospital and volunteer or, or, or visit soldiers who, who are in these places. Visit the farmers, go down and, and spend the day picking, um, you know, fruits or whatever, packing food for, for soldiers. Go with the a multitude of organizations that are, are doing every night meals on the thing. It's not for them. It'll be for you. You won't imagine. And, and I've never heard one person come back and say it wasn't one of the best experiences of my life. It wasn't the most fulfilling you know, you identify, they see you, you see them, and look at the videos uh, that abound about and, and and no one can walk away uninspired. Does this tell us that, and I'm being serious now, business-wise, does this tell us that for United, Delta, and American, the Israel route really is just relatively insignificant compared to their the rest of their operation? They don't have to run to, to start this thing up again? No, it's not at all. I think it was United, I think, that said it's the most profitable route that they have. And they are uh, scheduling flights in February. Um, I don't know whether they will sustain them. I know that some were already canceled. They, they have not indicated 
or some have indicated that they would uh, fly, but Lufthansa, Swiss Air, Alitalia, uh, all of them are flying, and you can get pickups, you know, hook up to flights from Israel, uh, from El Al or other airlines uh, flying into Israel. So those who really want to go, you can find the way to go. Mm-hmm. And 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 Austrian Air, has very good flights to Vienna. It, it, they're stopovers. It's not as convenient. Um, but those are but, stopovers that people wouldn't be uncomfortable with. Right. Yeah. None, none of them. I'm not saying Turkish Air, which right. is not flying yeah. anyway. I got it. They're not flying, and uh, you don't have to go uh, Hamas with uh, Hamas Air, right? Yeah. <laughs> that that uh, there are ways to go, and and uh, you know when I booked, I had a half a dozen different choices of different combinations. Again, I'm saying it's not as convenient, but it's it's not such a big burden if you have to sit three hours and wait or two hours in a layover. Malcolm, I thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week. God willing, have a good Shabbos. Malcolm Homeline Conference of Presidents, Major American Jewish Organizations. Fascinating. Fascinating what's going on. Uh, remember the IDF soldiers. Think of them over Shabbos. Think about the type of Shabbos they're having compared to the uh, luxury and comfort that, thank God, thank God, thank God, we're able to enjoy because of them around the world. And, of course, think of the hostages, everybody. We pray that uh, God frees the hostages from Hamas and utilizes the idea for diplomacy as the shliach, whatever the case might be, to get them home. Please, God, please, God.